it has to be the right strategic and purposeful growth for us. So that essentially means making sure that we don't ever do business with people that are not aligned with our values and our purpose, which is hugely important to us. Hi, I'm Belded Mankus. Welcome to The Purposeful Strategist. The podcast that shifts the conversation about purpose and strategy from what organizations should do to what business leaders are doing and what they've learned along the way. In this episode, I'll be joined by Mike Scott, senior partner at Crips, a mid-sized law firm based in London and the Southeast. Mike describes the 18-month journey they went on to clarify their firm purpose and develop a strategy to support it. He discusses the sort of external support they used and why. He also shares the critical first step he took on that journey. Mike, welcome to The Purposeful Strategist. You're the senior partner at Crips. Um, I wonder if you could tell us a bit about yourself, a bit about Crips, and also, just for anybody who might not know, what does a senior partner in a law firm do? Good question. I am a property litigator by trade, which I started in 1996, and I started at Crips. So I've been with Crips man and boy, seen it change enormously throughout that time. It's a very, very well-established firm in itself. It was created, would you believe, in 1852? Oh my goodness. <laughs> I know. Has gone through significant changes throughout that time. Started as a sort of private wealth firm for the sort of great and good of the Tunbridge Wells, and then became much more commercial in its focus in the 80s and 90s, and then saw rapid growth from sort of 2010 onwards. And so that's the firm I joined in 94, qualified in 96 as a property litigator going through the ranks, if you like, up to sort of head of real estate was my last position and then was elected in 2021, so only last year, to the role of senior partner. Now, the role of senior partner is fairly unique in businesses or professional services firms anyway. It's not the same as a chair, nor is it the same as an executive chair, nor is it the same as a CEO. And it can be different in different firms. So for us, the senior partner leads on strategy, culture, purpose, vision. So it helps to set the agenda and hold the vision, if you like, whilst the managing partner is responsible for implementing on a day-to-day basis that strategy. But of course, there's an overlap between strategy and implementing strategy. And then when it starts to dive away into the operational, that's none of my business. But there's quite a bit in the middle there where we, the senior partner and managing partner, lead together shoulder to shoulder. And that's quite powerful to have that leadership on those important high level issues where sometimes it can be lonely if you're doing it alone. (laughs) So that's broadly what it means to us at Crips. Mm -hmm. I can imagine also that getting that link working well is critical to addressing one of the issues lots of organizations wrestle with, which is, okay, we've got this fabulous strategy, but How does that actually impact what's happening on the ground? How do we really make it happen? Quite, because the worst thing in the world is to make that strategy in a silo or an ivory tower where you're not connected to the operational leaders of the firm as well. So you're not entirely sure whether it will actually work. So that, that, that link is, as you say, critical. Yeah. I believe over the last, some number of months, I'm sure you'll tell us how long, but some number of months, you and Crips have been sort of, I'll say, wrestling with the 
question of the firm's purpose. I wonder if you could tell us a bit about both what the purpose is and what that journey has been like. Yeah, of course. Well, as with so many businesses, it started in lockdown, that journey. And it just so happened I was elected uh, towards the end of the second uh, lockdown. And not a great time to take over as senior partner because you can't spend an enormous amount of time with people face to face. But at least you did have the chance to pull people in on Teams and Zoom sessions and develop what we really wanted to get to the bottom of, which was purpose. It was very much an initiative that I was very passionate about. And I was elected on the ticket of pairing back to what was important to us, why we do what we do who we are as a group of people, why we want to come together to do what we do, and whether there are things that we want to emphasize as a business that we may not have emphasized before. How did we go about doing that? It was a long process, and I would never apologize for the fact that it took a long time because we hadn't done it before, and we had to involve everybody from the very beginning. And there was very much a process of sort of moving out to take into account an enormous amount of information, views, and perspectives, and then funneling down to to distill those to a few points, and then going out again and bringing another load of information, views, and perspectives. So that classic process of out and in and out and in in terms of reaching a point then where you felt you'd considered everybody and all your stakeholders, brought them all into the picture. But it took a year And it should have taken a year. It was right that it took that long. We had various workshops and various series of workshops at different stages that then came back to the board, went back out to the partner group, the client group, and all the other people in the business so that we finally came to distill it to one basic purpose, which was and is making a lasting and positive impact to the lives and businesses of others, not just our clients, but they rank in priority inevitably, but our people too, which we very much felt rank equal in priority in terms of wanting to make a positive impact on their lives and community and planet. So it's across four pillars of purpose, if you like, which is how we refer to it in the business. And it just has helped everybody to understand what is important to us as a business and then hang many objectives, KPIs and and actions on those four pillars. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this idea of, you know, sort of, is it make the difference or be the difference? It be the difference. You could say that idea lots of different ways. How do you land on be the difference? Because when we started to think about make a difference, we felt, well, that's perhaps not quite purposeful enough. If you are driving yourself in every interaction with clients or your people or your society community, or indeed in relation to green issues, what are you going to do to actually be the difference in that conversation, in that project, in that bit of litigation? How are you going to be the difference, i.e. be the difference between failure and success or be the difference between making something happen? And how is it going to be you that is the difference between success and failure? And that suddenly becomes quite an empowering and ambitious thing to be. And it's quite motivating and indeed for other people, it's been motivating to to set that as an objective in everything that we do. And it's amazing how many people respond well to that rather than just simply just let's try and make a difference here, everybody. <laughs> what might be a slightly uncomfortable question, and you know, this idea of some number of pillars is one that lots of organizations have adopted. Yes. And sometimes it can end up feeling like, well, that's great, there's four pillars, but one of them's this enormous tree trunk and one of them's sort of a pencil. Across those four, how do you balance that? How do you manage the degree of effort and all the rest of that across the four? 
So we've often referred to the four pillars as a graphic equalizer, where you're trying to bring up in significance and importance the emphasis on particularly community and planet, where businesses across the board can often do certain things in those areas, but perhaps not live it throughout the organization. And so we took it back to our competency framework and our uh, appraisals and our performance management structure generally to ensure that we were not only measuring what is easy to measure in terms of of professional mm-hmm. services, so the financials and and everything else, but how we deliver our service, how we contribute to community and how we contribute to the planet, how are we going to measure those things? And the way that we've done that is literally by measuring the time that we give to those initiatives, as well as the feedback we get from the community and or the planet initiatives that we've engaged in. And it's only by doing that that we've really gathered momentum in contributing to those projects. So we measure the time just like we measure the time in fee earning. Right. Yeah, yeah. How long ago would you say sort of that idea and the KPIs and where's that landed? I think it took until our management conference last November. And then within the appraisal discussions that we had with everybody across the business in January, really launching this idea that we're pushing this at least so that our four pillars stand in in equal importance to us. And I think the, the feedback that we had from that was that, Oh, I get it. It's not all about making money. And I think in the past, when we have, as many law firms have done, focused simply on, well, how's your chargeable hours doing? How's your billing doing? How's your lockup going? And of course, all those things are important. We need to make money to do good things. But when people realize it's not all about that, we're going to be measured on being the difference across these four pillars then it becomes a bit more liberating. Both myself and uh, our head of purpose, Pete Kenyon, who's a partner in the firm, have seen this incredible take-up in terms of what we call Be The Difference Days or Be The Difference Time that we contribute to these projects across the board. And it's been great, actually. It's been great to see. As I'm sure you are well aware, there's a debate that probably will rage forever about whether the financial performance of an organization goes up when you focus on some of the non-financial reasons to exist or whether actually that's all a distraction. I'm just curious from your own experience, and it's still reasonably early days, but from your own observation, what have you seen about that? It is too early days, I think. It's much more about what you witness in the environment that we work in. In a way, I'm so convinced that that is a truism, that you will be more successful as a business financially if you create the right environment that enable your people to thrive, that I'm not worried about it. You can see that through the culture and the environment that has been developed further by this project and by identifying and articulating our purpose has created something quite special that will inevitably create success. I'm convinced of that. Mm-hmm. I'll be interested, and I'm sure you would be interested to go, you know, see how it goes over the next few years, because I suspect it's a multi-year game. Yes. In that sort of year-long journey, did you do it all sort of with internal resources, or did you use any kind of external support? We used external support. We used a change management consultant. We also brought in our brand consultant that we were going to use for our rebrand when the whole process was complete and brought them in quite early. And then we have someone on board anyway called Sprint Valley, who we use quite a lot for actually maintaining momentum in some of these change management projects. They're very, very good at forcing us through this process of expanding and then contracting 
extracting your ideas, uh, as I described earlier, out and in and out and in, in order to distill uh, through a, a quite a dynamic process, your thought process. And that all very much helped to maintain momentum, which is critical in anything like this. But also they were sort of holding our feet to the fire, if you like, and making sure that we were engaging with all of our stakeholders and not missing anything out. And you know, we never intended to miss anything out or anyone out, but sometimes you can get so caught up in the wave of your own thinking that you just push on a bit too fast without double checking you've got everybody with you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now that you've sort of spent this time clarifying the purpose, do you think that's that's sort of it? You know, that's fixed for good or do you see that changing over time as circumstances change i don't think our core purpose will change much and i think if we've got it right it shouldn't the vision may flex but even that i want to hold quite firm for at least the period that we've set ourselves for that vision to be implemented and that's a five-year period of course it has to flex to adapt to circumstances but i wouldn't expect it to change completely it's just the way that we achieve it that might flex but in terms of our purpose no i think my job absolutely is having led us through that process it is to hold that purpose and to hold again, our feet to the fire of that purpose to make sure that we don't forget it. You know, even if things become challenging and we want to try and cut a budget here and there that may not immediately show a return on an investment, my job is to say, well, hold on. No, we agreed this only a year ago and we are continuing to be this business come hell or high water. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You use the word vision. Yes. You know, interested to hear for you, what's the difference between purpose and vision? And some people throw mission in there. Sure. How are they all different? We um, try to keep this simple in the way that we've articulated it internally and externally. So why we do what we do is, is our purpose. We have a set of values which describes in very simple terms who we are and how we would like to behave. And then once you've got that, we can then paint a picture of what we want to be doing in five years time. And that's our vision. And then our strategy is how we're going to get there. Our journey for getting to that wonderful vision that we've just painted. And for us, it's about becoming the preeminent law firm in the South. We will continue to be a full services law firm, which is what we are now. We are top 100, but we want to move up to top 70, top 60. That involves quite a considerable level of growth. We think for what we want to achieve, size becomes quite important, but it's got to be profitable, but also a purposeful growth rather than just bigger. So we will spend a long time over the next three or four months, which is what the board is doing now, putting a lot more meat on the bones of that vision, if you like, or describing in a little bit more detail how we're going to get there. And that's a process that is led very much by both myself and the managing partner. And that's one of the areas where we very much lead shoulder to shoulder. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that vision, it sounds like that's kind of almost the capstone of the strategy. Correct. So did that develop through the same work you were doing around the purpose, or did that come together through some other mechanism? No, it was a very similar process. There were separate workshops and a separate process that was developed after we articulated our purpose and our values. And so then we were all about, okay, what do we want to be doing in five years? We created seven very key strategic objectives that led inextricably really to the conclusion that this is 
the vision that we were painting, this vision that we wanted to be the firm you first thought of in our marketplace in our part of the, of the country. Right. Mike, let me make sure I, I kind of understand the way you went at it there, because people come at these things in all sorts of different ways, and there's no right or wrong to how people do it. Sure. But it sounds like you sort of started working on some of the strategies that seem to make sense. Yeah. And then almost stood back and said, well, if we're doing these things, where's that pointing to? Where's that getting us to? Rather than here's this vision, some picture we're painting of the future. Now that we've anchored that in the future, how do we build a bridge to it? It almost sounded like you started building the bridges out and then saying, great, where are they all kind of converging on? <laughs> it was a little bit like that. I described the process almost like you know a thesis at university that you're putting together. You have all this information in front of you, these different bits of evidence and information and perspectives from the marketplace internally about what you are, what you're famous for now, looking into the future about what you want to be famous for, what you want to move into, what sectors, for example, and services could we not ignore because they're so much part of the future. And as you start to work that through, you start to realize, okay, if we're going to move into that era, we do need to be bigger. We've lost work because we don't have strength and depth there. In our immediate vicinity in the Southeast, we think we've come close to getting all the talent that we can that's possible to recruit into from our headquarters in Tunbridge Wells. It's different for our London office. We can certainly continue to recruit good people into that office. It's a different market for us. And in terms of the work as well, we've probably got most of it. So we need to expand into other areas and other networks and push into other parts of the country, both for talent, for markets, just to be able to grow. And we have always wanted to keep moving and, and keep growing because it's served us well. But we need to probably invoke a step change to that growth strategy. Mm -hmm. And I'm not asking you to talk about anything you, you shouldn't, and I'm sure you wouldn't. But does that imply some sort of acquisition, merger, or is it a more organic, we want to get into a new bit of geography, we're going to send a few people and open up an office in Reading or whatever? Sure. It absolutely could mean transactional growth. And that's what we are going through over the next two or three months as a board. The pros and cons of a transactional growth as opposed to organic plus. And of course, you know, the wonderful agility that agile working has provided to all law firms does enable you to set up hubs uh, in different areas. You can literally set something up around a group of people that you've identified that you'd like to bring into the business. So it's easier to grow organically by bringing teams into the business and not necessarily bringing them into the physical space that you have already. Much easier to do that if you choose to do so. And there, of course, are other structures that are being discussed in the marketplace, whether it's a collaborative model or a full-on merger or a trail of acquisitions. As I said before, it has to be the right strategic and purposeful growth for us. So that essentially means making sure that we don't ever do business with people that are not aligned with our values and our purpose, which is hugely important to us. And I always say to any newcomers who, who join us, if you ever find that we've started to engage with people that you just don't think are aligned with us in terms of purpose and values, you're allowed to come into the office and just kick me out of it because uh, I haven't done my job. That is an absolute priority in anything that we do and any growth strategy that we follow. Is anything that sort of surprised you in that journey? Anything either about positive or a negative surprise along the way? 
Yeah, the positive uh, lesson I learned from it was just how important the community and planet pillars are to a vast majority of our people. Now, I knew we had people for whom it was important. I was bowled over by how important it was to the vast majority of people. And I don't know why I say I was surprised, because I just assumed that a lot of people go into the law predominantly not only to exercise their brains, but also to make money. And I was pleasantly surprised that actually the vast majority of our people want to make that difference first and foremost and for the money to follow. And maybe I shouldn't have been surprised. It, it, you know, A firm that is based in Tunbridge Wells, quite close to London, but not in London, that seeks to achieve a work-life balance as well as any firm, perhaps shouldn't be that surprised that we've attracted people for whom money is not the number one priority. If it were, they could go and do something different in the city. What did you find most difficult, particularly for you, you know, sort of personally as you navigated through that, what was difficult? Holding everyone together, as in bringing everyone through, because I love nothing more than to think that everyone is on board. I found it challenging and difficult to accept I wasn't going to get absolutely everybody on board. There would be one or two outliers for whom money or other priority were absolutely top for them and they would never change. And ultimately, unless they accept that this is what we're about and support it, then they're probably in the wrong firm. And we will end up having and have had one or two conversations of that kind. Because for me, I'm happy you know, for there to be a silent supporter, if you like, so they're not absolutely actively vocal about all the things we want to do. But if behaviours start to contravene our values and our purpose, then they mustn't be in the business anymore. It is too disruptional. Yeah, I think that's always difficult. I mean, every business, one might argue nowadays, is a people-based business, but professional services firms, that's really all you've got. Yeah, it is. And what we've established through the last year and a half of, of going through this process is how significant the environment that we create and the culture we create is going to be and has been to our success and is going to be to our success going forward. So we've got any disruption there at all in any corner of the firm then it can't be tolerated. It has to change or they have to go. I'm not a, a naturally confrontational person, even though I'm a litigator. I do like to resolve those differences ultimately. And if they can't be, I consider it to be almost a personal failure. No, I can see that. I assume there's some sort of leadership team besides you and the managing partner. Maybe not. There is. Yeah. No, there is. So what's the impact been on that leadership team? How's it affected the dynamic around that? It's only been liberating, I would say. A good majority of that leadership team were keen to hold this purpose and vision and drive it through, not in any way other than bringing everybody with them. So pushing is not the way, pulling is a better way. And, and that's what we're seeking to do. Yeah. How, if at all, have you been changed through the process? What have you learned along the way? I think how much time, you, you can't spend enough time uh, holding the vision, engaging with people about the vision. You're spending most of your time either listening or selling. And it's constant and it should be constant. And I've been surprised at how many people can begin to lose faith when, for example, circumstances out beyond control, like the economy or whatever, make people wonder whether growth is the right strategy for now. And it's just reassuring people 
that our plan is still absolutely the right one, in fact, maybe even more so, and that there's wonderful security in having certainty of vision and purpose. And just to sort of hold that vision throughout everything, spending the time, whether it's partners, clients, all of those people need, you know, quite constant engagement. And that's right, that they should have that. So I could spend, and I think I should spend, the vast majority of my time in that role. And when you kind of reflect on who you are as a person, is there more you'd like to see either in your purpose or your strategy? Or do you sort of feel we're there? We may never be there, but we are definitely going in the right direction and making very, very good progress in a way that I feel if we carry on, no, I don't feel there's anything that we've missed or that we could have achieved at this point in time. We're going in a really good direction. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So just coming back to sort of the growth strategy, I know this is a, an issue lots of, I think, law firms and other kinds of businesses wrestle with. They want to grow. They often think of that as either organic growth or if they think that's not enough transactional, but they usually see themselves as as the bigger part of the organization that smaller bits will join. Yeah. Have you had the debate about, is, is there anybody out there we might find ourselves naturally becoming part of? We're having that debate. It's not something that we would jump to because we've just rebranded. We spend a lot of time articulating what's important to us. We think this is unique and we love what we've set out for ourselves as being important to us. And we want to pursue that journey. That is what we want to do. If we were to meet a firm that was so aligned with all of that and people that were so in tune with how we want to do business, then things like control and even brand become less important. And you've got to put your ego to one side at that point and think, wow, well, for the good of our people, the firm and our clients, this could be an incredibly powerful thing to do. Now, there may well be firms like that out there, and that's why you should never rule it out. So I think that's where I am personally, and there will be no surprises to anyone listening to me saying that. In that, whether it's you know you finding a smaller team or firm that might join you or finding a bigger firm to join, what are the key bits that have to line up? Is it the values? Is it they've got to have the same purpose? They've got to have the same growth ambition? All of that? There are bits that are red lines and the red line ones or the absolute non-negotiables are the values, culture, purpose piece. So if there's too much distance or even any distance really between those things in terms of the two firms or two teams or whatever we're talking about, then uh, I think it, it becomes a no straight away. Even if on paper financially, it would make a lot of sense. What advice might you give to a business leader, a leader of another law firm, or, or any kind of organization who themselves are grappling with their organization's purpose and how they connect it with their strategy? What advice might you give? So I think the first thing is do it. Even if you're getting people in the business who are saying, oh, come on, this purpose stuff, it's all very you know, woolly and we don't need this. We just need to be following the numbers. Don't even think about that. Because even if you're the most profitable firm in the world, you're still going to benefit from this exercise. You're still going to find out a lot about your business, your people, your stakeholders in going through this purpose project. And you will identify a core tenet, a core thought that is important to all your people and it will help you bring them together on any project that you then implement going forward. So it is absolutely a project worth pursuing. 
you may be surprised then by what your business is. You will be surprised throughout the project. The other thing I'd say in terms of the tips is, is you'll go into office, as I did, thinking, okay, I have a very clear idea about where we ought to take this firm next. But I, I suppose I didn't take into account the fact that there will be others with other counter views who will be influential in the firm and who will have gravitational pull within the firm too, that they can pull others into that uh, that thought process. And so the time that we spent and I spent in particular to begin with, one-to-ones with everybody of influence within the firm was time very, very well spent. And you can't spend enough time on that part of the process. And I spent about three or four months doing that and then rethinking my own thinking. And then, as I say, going out to a larger group and then going in again and going through that process several times, probably at least three times in relation to purpose and at least three times in relation to vision and strategy as well. So if all that happened in a year or so, maybe for the strategy work was a bit longer. Year and a half, yeah, yeah. So each of those cycles needs to be reasonably quick. I mean, it's not in a couple of weeks, but it's certainly not each cycle taking six months. No, and and that's where outside help is really useful. It doesn't. I mean, you might have people internally who can really help you with that process. If you need the discipline of moving things along quickly, those people will never let go and therefore maintain that momentum, as I say. So bringing someone in to help you with those projects, particularly where you need to do most of them online. So there's plenty of technology out there that helps you bring people in and now you have a virtual whiteboard with post-its and, and project management tools that help people through the process of expanding their thinking and contracting them out again. It's a good thing to try and get into the habit of doing because you'll use it in every project afterwards as well. Um, What haven't I asked you about that you wish I had? What would you like to touch on that we haven't had a chance to cover? One of the things that I read when I first became senior partner that I would commend to everybody, it's a very short book, a very short story, really. And you would have heard of it. It's called The Go-Giver Leader by a chap called, I think it's Bob Berg and John Mann, I think. And basically, it's a nice little story about the benefits of becoming a generous leader and empowering people, sharing as much information as you possibly can, creating ambition for people that they nearly always not only live up to, but exceed and yielding your power rather than holding on to it. And as a result, becoming even more influential as a leader. And so this idea of being the most generous leader, and I try to live by that. And I have to say, when I get it right, which isn't definitely isn't always it has quite you know impressive effects and you just see things happening within the business that are, are suddenly nothing to do with you but are fantastic but you've created the environment by being generous with your power if that's the right expression i try to live by that principle that's really sort of steer great advice mike thanks for joining us thanks for being willing to sort of share your journey and your experiences really appreciate it not at all thank you very much Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Purposeful Strategist. Please email any questions or suggestions to belden at mancus.com. In addition to being available on our website, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you enjoyed this episode, we release a new episode weekly. Don't forget to subscribe. Thanks again, and join us soon for the next episode of The Purposeful Strategist.